Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. You can hopefully find this on the screen or on your, um, the sheets that got handed out. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will. 
and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dave. Well, it's great to be diving back into Romans 15 again after pausing last weekend. As Dave said, the Bible reading's in the news sheet and there's also an outline of the talk if you'd like to follow along there. This week I've been thinking about what criteria we use when we make decisions. We make decisions all the time, don't we? We make lots of small decisions every day, every week, and we sometimes make really big decisions. And the type of decision that we're making will affect the criteria that we use to make it. But I reckon there is one criterion that we use in every decision that we make, and that is, will it work? Will this decision work? So think about buying a car. There are lots of things to think about. You want to think about what size car you need, what colour car you want. You might think about, do I want four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive or just drive? You might think about, do I want seat warmers? My brother-in-law recently bought a new ute. It's pretty rugged-looking, big four-wheel drive ute, and it has seat warmers. That just doesn't work for me, a rugged ute with seat warmers. But even if that's what you buy, you still want to know this car will work, this car will drive. And it's not just cars or other things. When we think about relationships, if we're in a relationship with someone, we want it to work, don't we? Everyone has slightly different ideas about what it means for a relationship to work. Your values might be around a relationship being fun or about it, around it being healthy or around it being mutual. If those are your values, then you will uh, assess your relationship around those values to decide, is this relationship working? It's true for government policy. There's been lots of conversation recently around whether the Albanese government should go ahead with their proposed stage three tax cuts in a couple of years. And whatever your framework is, uh, however you think a tax policy should work, everyone wants a tax policy that actually will work. As Christians, I think we want to know that what we believe works? It's a big question. I think it's been underlying the conversation that's been going on in all of the to and fro about Essendon and Andrew Thorburn. Different people will have really different ways of assessing whether Christian faith works. That's part of the difficulty, isn't it? The criteria we use to think about does faith work will be really different to the criteria that the media use. It will be different again to the criteria that Essendon uses. But I think there's a really big question there. Does Christian faith work? Does the gospel work? And if it does work, how does it work? Here in Romans 15, Paul is starting to close off his letter to the church in Rome. He reflects on the shape of his ministry. He reflects on what he's already said in this letter and in lots of ways he picks up on some themes from Romans 1 and uh, revisits them here in chapter 15. 
He tells them that he's been wanting to come and visit them for years and that he finally has a concrete plan. He wants to pass through Rome on his way to Spain. Sounds like a pretty pleasant travel itinerary, I reckon. Paul is following up what he wrote in the first half of Romans 15. There he articulated God's great gospel plan to bring Gentiles to hope in Israel's Messiah, to bring both Jews and Gentiles together into a united gospel community of grace. As he does all of this, it's pretty clear that Paul thinks that the gospel really does work. But how does it work? What is Paul's gospel strategy And what can we learn from ourselves? We're going to think about some of those questions as we dive into Romans 15 now. First of all, we see that the gospel works through proclamation. So Paul says in verse 15 and 16 that God gave him the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. And then a little bit later in verse 19 he says, From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So we hear Paul's particular call to be a minister to the Gentiles, uh, to be someone who preaches where Christ wasn't known. But more broadly than that, we also see uh, through both Paul here and also through the other apostles in the book of Acts that proclaiming the gospel is at the heart of gospel strategy, that preaching the gospel of God is at the heart of gospel strategy. Proclamation is the method and the content is the gospel itself. Paul began this letter to the church in Rome with the gospel. At the beginning of chapter 1 he said, uh, the gospel is uh, promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel is regarding God's son Jesus who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then again in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The gospel is Jesus, the Son of God, who died and was raised to life in power. The gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God to save people from the consequences of our rejection of God, to give us the gift of righteousness, In Christ. This is what Paul has proclaimed from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum. You can see on this map uh, this um, area that Paul travelled around. The red orange bits are the Roman Empire at the time, and Paul went from Jerusalem on uh, the side of the Mediterranean Sea all the way round to Illyricum that's circled there. He covered an enormous amount of ground. And he covered it because he was absolutely committed to proclaiming the gospel, because he was convinced that the gospel works when it is proclaimed. 
In chapter 10, he made this really clear. He asked these rhetorical questions. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Over the years, I've heard Christians sometimes talk about the Gospel and the Bible as what gets us going in our faith. But then they, they often say, we can move on from this. We can move on from this foundation. But hearing the Gospel proclaimed once isn't the end of the story. In verse 15, Paul says, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. The Bible, where we hear the gospel, isn't just a textbook to get on top of. It's not like a specialist subject area in the expert round of hard quiz, if anyone's watched that show. The Bible is the living and active word of God we hear in Hebrews 4. The Bible is God-breathed, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. Proclaiming the gospel is what brings people to Christ. And proclaiming the gospel is essential to keep us in Christ. It's one of the ways that God works in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Paul saw this in his own ministry. Through gospel proclamation, he saw Gentiles coming to faith, we've heard in this passage. He saw it in the Christians at Rome. He describes them in verse 14 as full of goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another, God has changed who they are through the proclamation of the gospel. But they're not perfect yet and so that's why Paul has also seen the need to write to them boldly on some points to remind them of them again. The gospel works through proclamation to bring us to Jesus and the gospel works through proclamation to keep us in him and to make us more like Jesus. That's why I'm standing here now. That's why our services are shaped the way that they are. That's why we regularly run Christianity Explored. The gospel works through proclamation, not just once, but again and again and again. I see this often uh, as people come and talk to me after I've preached. I know uh, everyone else who preaches here finds that as well. Uh, Hearing from Caroline and Jordan was a really great example of the gospel at work through proclamation as they sat and listened last weekend. God was at work in their lives. Uh, God has shaped their response and is shaping how they live through the week, the conversations that they have with people through what they heard last weekend as the gospel was proclaimed. So friends, how does the gospel work? The gospel works through proclamation. Secondly, the gospel works with power. Paul says in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So it's not that Paul himself is powerful. His testimony is of what Christ has accomplished through him. It's God who is powerful. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work as the gospel is proclaimed. And that power is mediated through what Paul has said and done. What he said is the gospel. He's proclaimed the gospel. And in Romans chapter 1, we were reminded that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to those who believe. 
As well as proclaiming the gospel, Paul has done signs and wonders. This might be a phrase that we feel a little uncertain about. What were the signs and wonders that Paul did? Should we expect to see them today? I think we can find some help with this in the book of Acts. In chapter 14 there, we see that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time at Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Some of the signs and wonders that Paul did are described at other places in Acts. He uh, healed the sick, he delivered people from demonic possession, he raised someone from the dead. That was the guy who was listening to Paul preach who fell out the window. Thankfully, Paul was able uh, to then raise him from the dead. But what's really important to notice is the purpose of these signs and wonders. They were to confirm the message of the gospel of grace that Paul was proclaiming, to make clear the presence and the power of God as the gospel went out to the nations. So should we expect to see signs and wonders today? I don't think there's a really straightforward yes or no answer to that question. Certainly God is still able to empower someone who's proclaiming the gospel to perform signs and wonders. And presumably God would do that if they were necessary to point to the power of the gospel, to point to the presence of God, to confirm the message of his grace in the gospel in a particular situation. But if signs and wonders aren't needed for God to work, if they would be a distraction from the message of the gospel, then perhaps God wouldn't work in those ways. I think what uh, is more important to notice is that what Christ has accomplished through all that Paul has said and done has happened through the power of the Spirit of God. And the result of that power is that Gentiles have come to Christ. We see it in the quote there from Isaiah 52. Those who were not told about him, that is the suffering servant, will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is what Paul has seen in the life of the Gentiles he's taken the gospel to. They have seen, they have understood, their lives have been changed. We see in verse 18 that the Gentiles have been led to obey God by Christ using what Paul has said and done. Paul talks about them being an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Their lives have been transformed. We still see this happening today. Not everyone who hears the gospel proclaimed responds in these ways, but some people certainly do. Maybe you can see this in your own life. As you've heard the gospel, as you've read the Bible, you can see how God has changed you. Maybe you can see this in the lives of other people here at church, in the lives of family members or friends. Whatever you make of Andrew Thorburn and the situation with Essendon, Andrew gave this testimony about the power of God in his life in one of his uh, written responses to the media. My faith is central to who I am. Since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen profound change in my life and I believe God has made me a better husband, father and friend. It has also helped me become a better leader. That is because at the centre of my faith is the belief that you should create a community and care for people because they are created by and loved by God 
and have a deep intrinsic value. Andrew Thorburn's testimony is of the power of God in his life to change and transform him. The power of God changed people's lives through the proclamation of the gospel. So the gospel works through through proclamation, the gospel works through God's power and thirdly the gospel works through partnership. In verse 23 Paul says, "Now Now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul is inviting the Christians at Rome to partner with him in taking the gospel for the first time to Spain. Paul doesn't say here exactly how he wants them to partner uh, and so we can speculate. Maybe he might have asked for transport, for travel companions, for letters of introduction, maybe for financial assistance. Clearly though, Paul is seeking their practical partnership in taking the gospel to Spain. And he also refers to another uh, gospel partnership here and this is the financial partnership that happened between the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia and the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Paul writes much more about this in 1 Corinthians 16 and in 2 Corinthians 8. But verse 27 is a really good summary. The Christians in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them, that's the Jewish Christians. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So this this financial partnership would be a tangible expression of the united community of grace, that is the Church of God. We don't have that kind of uh, Jewish and Gentile division in our church anymore, I don't think. But we certainly do have differences in socioeconomic uh, circumstances. And I think that's a question for all churches and a question for us. How best can we use our financial resources to partner in the gospel in partnership with other Christians who are lacking? Is that in Melbourne? Is it beyond Melbourne? Are there some in our own church who we could partner with financially, who would value financial support? We already do this in lots of ways with our global mission partners, partnering with them, partnering with them financially. Closer to home, we partner financially with our estates congregation, with our uni church congregation. Those are two groups of people who aren't really able to financially sustain uh, the ministry to them. And so it's It's a beautiful thing that here at 10am we can partner financially in those ministries. There are so many possibilities when it comes to practical practical partnership in the gospel. As well as financial partnership, there are times when our global mission partners reach out for practical help. Sometimes that's when they're back here on furlough, they're looking for a home to live in, maybe for a car to use while they're here. There's lots of practical ways in partnering in the ministry we do here at St Jude's. There's also always uh, things to be done around the building uh, that facilitate the preaching of the gospel and other practical jobs. Gospel partnership in those ways is essential in enabling the preaching of the gospel to take place. 
So brothers and sisters, the gospel works through proclamation, it works through the power of God, it works through partnership and finally the gospel works as people pray. Paul urges the Christians at Rome to pray for him. You can hear the intensity in his appeal in verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. There's a really beautiful Trinitarian shape to this prayer, uh, to this appeal. By our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, pray to God for me. And Paul describes his ministry as a struggle. I think we're sometimes taken by surprise when ministry is a struggle. When what we're trying to do here at church is a struggle. Maybe we're taken by surprise when it's a struggle to live our lives in a Christian way, day by day. Maybe we're taken by surprise when our gospel mission partners struggle. But we shouldn't be surprised. Paul shows us that his ministry was a struggle and asking for prayer was the way that he invited the Roman Christians into that struggle with him. And here he's specific about how he'd like them to pray for him. Verse 31, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Now we know that the gospel worked through the answering of this prayer even though it might not have happened exactly as Paul anticipated. So if you read uh, Acts chapter 20 to 28, you'll see that Paul did arrive in Rome, but that it took him years rather than months to get there. And it nearly cost him his life. On his way to Rome, Paul was beaten, he was nearly lynched in a mob, uh, he was almost murdered, he was kept in prison unfairly, and he was shipwrecked along the way as well. This is probably not what Paul had in mind when he asked them to pray for him here. But God did answer those prayers in the end. God brought Paul to Rome. And through all that happened to Paul on that journey, God kept bringing people to Christ through him, through the gospel. For us, prayer is a vital way that we can support the work of the gospel here at St Jude's, further afield in Melbourne and around the world. And I know lots of that, us know that and lots of us are involved in praying for the work of the gospel. One way we do this is through our monthly St Jude's prayer meeting. So I'm just going to give, us a shame, give it a shameless plug now. Um, we meet for one hour on the first Monday of every month. I'm not sure about January, but uh, if you committed to coming along each Monday, that would be 11 or 12 hours every year that you set aside for praying for the work of the gospel. We pray there for the work of the gospel here, for the work of the gospel further afield and through our global mission partners. We also produce a booklet of those prayer points. There's a, there's a pile of them out in the foyer this morning so that if you can't make it on those Monday nights, you can pray during the week, you can pray in your connect groups, you can pray with a friend or in a prayer triplet. 
It's a huge way that we can be involved in the work of God through the world. Pray for the work of the gospel. Friends, Paul is convinced that the gospel works, that it works through proclamation, that it works with power, that it works through partnership and also that it works as people pray. Perhaps you wonder though, despite Paul's conviction, whether the gospel really does work. Perhaps you wonder whether the gospel still works, even if it worked in Paul's day. Does it still work today? When you buy a car, you don't really know if it works until you try to drive it, do you? You don't really know if a tax policy is going to work until you implement it. The gospel's a bit like that too. So let me encourage you this morning to give the gospel a go to give the gospel a go maybe for the first time, to find out more about Jesus or to put your faith in him. Or let me encourage you to keep giving the gospel a go, no matter how long you've been a Christian. Listen well as the gospel is proclaimed. We all struggle to listen well uh, as people are preaching, as we read the Bible, but let's keep working hard to listen well. Watch out for ways that God is using the gospel in your life and in the lives of other people. Watch out for ways that God is shaping you in obedience to him, making you more like Jesus. Find ways to partner practically in the work of the gospel and be committed to joining the struggle of the gospel in prayer. I want to finish with two anecdotes from one of our global mission partner couples. I've taken their names out because of our live stream and any of the names that are in these examples aren't the actual names of the people involved. But the first anecdote is about a young Korean woman. So our global mission partner wrote that this woman, Nina, moved to where they are for work. Uh, she'd only been there for two months and she came along to church somehow. Uh, they don't know how she came to church. But once she'd been at church for a while, she asked if she could join a small group because she wanted to find out more about who Jesus is. This Gospel Mission partner also wrote about another occasion where the minister's wife at their church spoke really clearly about what it had meant for her to commit her life to Jesus when she was only 10 years old. There was a woman called Louise who was there that night. She actually put her faith in Jesus that night as she heard the minister's wife uh, proclaim the gospel and share about what God had done in her. The woman, uh, Louise, is a local person in that area and she works as a psychologist. Uh, her friend had invited her to church the previous week and then to come along to this event where the minister's wife was sharing. What she heard has had a huge impact in that lady's life. And our Gospel Mission partner writes that this woman Louise has many questions but her journey of faith in Christ has begun. Paul was convinced that the Gospel works. We can see the Gospel at work in so many ways in our world. So friends, please join me now as I pray for the continued work of the gospel in our lives 
and our world.